If you have spent any amount of time in a desert, you notice immediately how desolate everything looks. I spent some time in the desert in New Mexico several years ago, and for miles in every direction, all you see is brown and sand and rocks. And it's dry and it's hot, really hot. It's going to be 106 degrees there today in Las Cruces, New Mexico. 113 in Phoenix today. It was actually my first live, in-person encounter with a rattlesnake. It was a little frightening, I have to say. When you hear that shh, it's like, oh, I am out of here. And almost all the plants that you see in the desert that are suited to that environment are either prickly or scraggly or dangerous looking. And you spend any time out there, you better have some water with you because it's, it doesn't take long for you to get super dry and, and dehydrated. And you stay dehydrated for any length of time and it can get dangerous. And even if we don't live near a desert, we can feel in our souls like we're wandering in a hot, dry desert spiritually. Discouragements and the cares of life can weigh on us and drain us and spiritually dehydrate us. Our souls can get dry and parched and thirsty if we don't have the spiritual water that we need to lift us up and encourage us and revive us. But as believers in Christ, even in times when we're facing great trials and difficulties, we can experience great encouragement and joy and satisfaction in our souls. The peace of God that surpasses all understanding, says Paul in Philippians 4. We're going to talk about quenching a thirsty soul this morning. So we're going to look at Psalm 63. So if you brought your Bible, please turn to Psalm 63. It's been a favorite psalm of mine for a long time. It's encouraged me, it's challenged me many times, and it dovetails well with what we talked about last week, the key to endurance. This psalm was written by King David. He wrote it at a time when he was under tremendous pressure. His son Absalom stole the hearts of the people away from loyalty to King David and attempted a coup. So David and his loyal followers fled for their lives, and they, they fled into the wilderness of Judah. He was fearing for his life. He was disgraced. He was feeling rejected. He was uncertain about his future. He was grieving over his son and his rebellion. He was in tremendous anguish in his soul. He was wandering in the hot, arid wilderness of, of Judah, and he was dry in his soul. It was parched. And he knew where he could find satisfaction. So let's read Psalm 63. David writes, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. 
Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you, your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exalt, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. I want to draw out three points from this psalm. We're going to talk about the fact that, number one, your soul is thirsty. Number two, how your thirst is quenched. And number three, how your satisfaction is completed. Number one, your soul is thirsty. God made us with a soul thirst. He made us worshipers. He made us with a soul that can only be satisfied, I mean truly satisfied, by one thing, and that's himself. And when we try to quench it with worldly, sugary drinks, it will never satisfy. God says in Isaiah 55, verses 1 to 3, listen how God beckons us. He says, come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? Why do you try to satisfy yourself in some other kind of way? and your labor for that which does not satisfy. Listen diligent to me, diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in rich food. Sounds familiar, right? Incline your ear and come to me here that your soul may live. God knows that he is the source of, of quenching your spiritual soul thirst. And he says, come to me. We can become spiritually dry when we're overheated and parched by cares and troubles, and then for weeks on end, we have a tendency to neglect our relationship with our Savior. We create distance from the source of quenching, and then we stack up weeks and months like that, and we can become severely spiritually dehydrated. And then we sometimes try to remedy our dehydration with the wrong things, and it doesn't do anything to help. No amount of stuff or money or worldly accomplishments or sex or experiences or anything else will satisfy our souls. It can be a temporary pleasure, but in the end it just disappoints. It doesn't satisfy the soul, it's fleeting. We can get into this never-ending cycle of searching for the wrong thing and getting it and momentary pleasure and then disappointment and searching for the wrong thing and getting it, having fleeting pleasure and then disappointment. King David knew that soul thirst. Look at verse 1. He says, 
O God, you are my God, earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there's no water. I mean, that, that imagery is just so vivid. You can just picture that. That hunger and thirst. His soul was thirsty. His flesh was fainting for something to satisfy him. His soul and his flesh. He's, he's talking about his whole being here is parched. It's a good description of the often dry, arid conditions in the wilderness of Judah. A dry and weary land where there's no water. Not only was the environment dry and weary, but his troubling and anguishing circumstances were driving his spiritual thirst. His life was in danger. But he also knew something about that. He knew God. He knew God was a God of justice. And he knew what their ultimate end was. The enemies of God are going to face his judgment. Verses 9 to 11. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be apportioned for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. David's words in verse 1 are not coming from someone who's searching for something to satisfy him. So maybe I'll try God. No, this is someone, King David is someone who knew God. And he knew that it was God who could quench his thirsty soul. He says, oh God, you are my God. He was in a dry place and he longed for God. Without the life-giving water from God, your soul will be parched and thirsty. Without a genuine faith relationship with Jesus Christ, your soul will forever be thirsty. Think about your physical thirst. If you're physically thirsty, what is your mission? My mission is to go find a source of water. I need to go find something that will satisfy me in that area. And if you're really thirsty, you don't go to the pantry and get out a box of saltines and pretzels. You go to the fridge to get a cup of nice cold water. Am I making you guys really thirsty right now? I'm sorry about that. You go to your sink for water? David knew his soul was thirsty, and he knew just where to go. And he knew exactly how his soul would be satisfied. Number two, how your thirst is quenched. David knew from his experience that his soul has been and only will be satisfied in God. And he knew that no matter how difficult his circumstances were going to get, how much pressure he was under, he could always find blessing and satisfaction in the Lord himself. Again, verse 1, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. You, God, are the only true satisfaction for my soul thirst. Only you can satisfy me. Nothing else will do when I'm parched in my soul. Nothing else will do it. Jesus also talked about this. The first step in quenching a thirsty soul is a faith relationship with Jesus Christ. 
Without this relationship, you have no access to these waters. There's a wonderful passage in the Gospel of John, chapter 7, where Jesus is at the Feast of the Tabernacles, and he makes an announcement. He cries out, it says, he cries out to all who would hear that he can eternally satisfy the thirsty soul. He says this in John 7, On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this, John says, he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him would receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Anyone who comes to Jesus by faith receives the gift of the Holy Spirit, the indwelling Holy Spirit. And it's the Holy Spirit who unlocks the gate to the living waters. Their soul will be satisfied. Their search for ultimate satisfaction is over. And the interesting thing is a non-Christian very often may not even recognize the thirst in their soul. They just feel dissatisfaction or whatever it is. Or maybe they're totally sated by the things of the world. Don't even recognize it. Until they hear the gospel message. And then God opens their eyes and says, you know what, this is what I've been missing. I've been trying to find satisfaction in everything else. It doesn't work. Need more, need more, need more. This is where our soul satisfaction starts. Your soul satisfaction starts with a, a relationship with Jesus Christ. God created us to worship him. But the problem is we have a tendency to worship all kinds of other things that are not him. We give our lives to so many other things, and, and this, the Bible calls it idolatry. And our, our, our sin is completely blocking us from the living water. It's blocking us from a relationship with him. And our sinful hearts have us trapped in a spiritual desert apart from God. Jesus, God the Son, came to live among us to do all that was necessary to save us and draw us and give us joy in our souls. He came to take our sin and absorb the judgment that was due to us to remove the barrier that stands between us and God so that we might know him and love him and find our joy in him. So that's step one. Come to Jesus by faith and trust in him as your Savior, and you will have a fountain of living water available to you 24-7. And think about King David. He was incredibly wealthy. He had all the luxurious stuff that anybody could want at that time. And when his soul was thirsty, his decision was not to go sit in a pile of shiny, expensive, luxurious things. He sought after God. Listen, this is the big idea of this message right here. The only thing big enough and worthy enough and glorious enough to fully captivate and satisfy the soul of man is God himself. 
the only thing big enough and worthy enough and glorious enough to fully captivate and satisfy the soul of man is God himself. Listen to how pastor and songwriter Matt Papa put it. He said this, The triune God is the only thing large enough and interesting enough to bear the weight of glory and ultimately worship. Anything else will break your heart. Money isn't secure enough. Sex isn't thrilling enough. Entertainment isn't impressive enough. Food isn't satisfying enough. People aren't reliable enough. This world isn't good enough. Creation isn't permanent enough. We were created by God and for God, and until we understand that, we are restless, broken-hearted glory chasers, always seeking something more. Only God, the highest and greatest good, the infinite Holy One, is finally enough. Well said. So what does King David do? Notice the action words here. Verse 1, earnestly I seek you. With passion, with sincerity, with drive, earnestly I seek you. That's a decision of his will. He knows he's parched, so he seeks after that which can satisfy him and quench his soul thirst. Verse 2, so I have looked upon you in the sanctuary. I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. He looked upon God. He turned his gaze toward God. He focused his attention on the power and beauty and glory of God. He took time to put his full attention on the greatness and the majesty of God. Verse 3, because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. I mean, what an amazing thing to say. Your love is better than life. What an amazing thing. He took time to meditate on the steadfast, never-ending, never-waning love of God. And then when he thought about how God's soul-satisfying, God's steadfast love is to him, he said it was better than life. Verses 5 and 6. My soul will be satisfied with fat and rich food. When? When he has a nice dinner? Listen, no matter how good it is, dinner cannot satisfy the soul. I have found this. And I know some of you ladies here are saying, Ah, but he has not had my pasta sauce. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food when I remember you on my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. He was satisfied in his soul when he remembered God when he was laying on his bed. But that it's not like, oh, God, yeah, I remember him. No, he was calling to mind the wonder and the nature of God. He meditated on the glory of God. He feasted on soul-satisfying thoughts of God as he lay there. He took time to think about the majesty and the glory and the perfections of God. He engaged his mind and he meditated on him and his greatness. What does it mean to meditate in this context? It means focusing your thoughts on what is true about God. Thinking 
about truth, about God, thinking deeply about verses of Scripture that talk about God, soaking in it in your thoughts, thinking about how each attribute of God impacts your life for good. That is a really key point because every attribute of God, every perfection of God in His glory impacts you. It has an impact on stabilizing your life as you meditate and think about the greatness and goodness of God. Letting the truth wash over you and affect your heart and stir your emotions and ignite your love for God. I mean, think about verses like like Deuteronomy 32.4, the rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are justice, a God of faithfulness, and without iniquity, just and upright is he. God is always perfectly just and upright. He will always do what's right. He will always vindicate the righteous. He will always judge the wicked. He will never do what is wrong. You never have to worry about taking justice in your own hands. God will handle it. Verse Psalm 103, verse 11, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward you. Think of the ways that God loves you and expresses his love toward you. Yes, it says God so loved the world, but he loves you in particular. He chose you. He saved you. He sent his son to die for you, to lay his life down so that you wouldn't face eternity in judgment. It's a lot of love. He's protecting you and sustaining you. He's 100% committed to your good. The Spirit is interceding for you. Jesus is interceding for you. He's guarding you and keeping you all the way until you see Him in heaven. Love from people will ebb and flow. It's great and it's not so great. It's there, it's not there. God's love is 100% steadfast. Psalm 136, the psalmist says, His steadfast love endures forever. 26 times he says that in that psalm. That's cold, refreshing water to a thirsty soul, isn't it? Lamentations 3, 22 to 23, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Sounds familiar. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. God's love and mercy toward you was new this morning. It was a fresh newness. You have a new grace this morning. And tomorrow, His mercy and love will be new tomorrow. Tuesday, His mercy and love will be new for you on Tuesday. How about Wednesday? He is faithful. He is perfectly faithful. And because he is trustworthy and true and almighty, he will always keep every promise that concerns you in the scriptures. Always. He is faithful to the end. God is faithful. God is faithful. God is faithful. He will keep his promises to me. I could go on. I mean, 
Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, Revelation 4.8, who was and is and is to come. God is perfectly holy. He will never do anything that is wrong or evil or unjust or unrighteous. He is perfectly holy. Great is your is our Lord and abundant in power and his understanding is beyond measure. You know what? God understands pretty much everything. God understands everything. He understands everything perfectly, including everything that's going on in your life. He knows what is best for you. His wisdom is perfect. You can count on him to do what is right and wise in your life because he is holy. When you're burdened, when you're feeling spiritually dehydrated, go to Scripture and meditate on truth about God. There is no higher thought you can think than truths about God. David meditated on God in the watches of the night, it says. In the quiet parts of the night, at times when nothing else was going on, David was left to his thoughts. What did he do? He turned his thoughts toward God. It's a question for us, right? What do you think about when you have nothing to think about? I talked about this with the men's and, and the women's groups. What do you think about when there's nothing to think about, when you have nothing else to think about? Discipline your thoughts to think true thoughts about God, and it will encourage you and stabilize your soul. We need to train ourselves to turn our thoughts towards, towards soul-edifying truths about our Savior. That is how our soul thirst is quenched. And God not only wants you to think about him, he wants you to enjoy him. When you enjoy God for who he is and in all his majesty, God is glorified and honored in that enjoyment. He is glorified as you enjoy him. Jonathan Edwards, the great American theologian who lived in the first half of the 1700s, wrote this. He said, So God glorifies himself toward the creatures in two ways. By appearing to their understanding, reveals himself. In communicating himself to their hearts, and in their rejoicing and delighting and enjoying the manifestations which he makes of himself. God is glorified not only by his glories being seen, but by its being rejoiced in. When those that see it delight in it, God is more glorified than if they only see it. His glory is then received by the whole soul, both by the understanding and by the heart. God himself is the only one big enough and glorious enough to satisfy your thirsty soul. Number three, how your satisfaction is completed. How your satisfaction is completed. When David sought God to quench his soul thirst, what was its end? How was his satisfaction heightened or completed? It was completed by sincere, heartfelt worship, by praise, by adoration. Look, at, look again at verses 3 and 4. Because your steadfast love is better than life, what did he do? My lips will praise you. So I will bless you 
As long as I live, in your name, I will lift up my hands. Those are expressions of worship. Verse 5, my soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. And what? My mouth will praise you with joyful lips. Verse 7, in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. It's almost impossible to think, to be completely captured by lofty thoughts about God and not turn and worship Him for it and praise Him. How do you do that? It's like you start absorbing yourself in thoughts like these in Scripture and then you let it fall flat. Tell them how you feel about them. Oh, God, praise you for your amazing faithfulness. Thank you, God, for your amazing faithfulness. That it's, you're faithful all the way to the end. I worship you for your steadfast love. There is no one like you, oh, God. Heaven and earth are full of your glory. You are glorious and majestic and beautiful, Lord. Thank you for your glory. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. It should just flow out of you. And it completes the satisfaction and heightens the joy. C.S. Lewis wrote a book called Reflections on the Psalms. And in it, he was pondering why God would command us to praise him. And he gave some thought to that. And he concluded that Praise was a gift from God. It was an act of love from God toward us because it's when we praise Him as we get our greatest joy. It was an act of love for Him to command us to praise Him. Here's how he said this. I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not only expresses but completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. The delight is incomplete until it is expressed. Isn't that true? I mean, think about it. You go to a beach and you see a sunset. It's gorgeous. You see this huge sky and the sunset, all the colors, the reds and the oranges and all that. And you look at it and you just go, wow, isn't that amazing? Isn't God amazing for giving us the gift of such a beautiful thing? How great must God be to give us such a beautiful thing? for our pleasure, and for his glory. You can't just sit there and look at the Grand Canyon and not and just kind of go. It's like, wow, look at that. You have to say that, and it completes the enjoyment. Honey, look at this. Isn't God amazing? Now, we can fall into idolatry when we say, isn't the thing the best thing ever, and that's where it sits. And we worship the thing. We worship God because of his creative ability made that. When we think about the greatness of God, we should be feel compelled to praise and honor and worship him, express it to him. It completes it, fills your soul. Even when life is difficult, When David wrote Psalm 63, his soul was thirsty. His life was in danger. And he sought the refreshing living waters in God, and his soul was satisfied. If you are finding yourself discontent, 
and discouraged and feeling distant from God, spiritually flat. You may be spiritually dehydrated, spiritually starving. My strong recommendation to you is to get to know God intimately, as intimately as you can. You cannot simply sincerely, fervently love someone you don't know. Isn't that right? I would encourage you to take time to carefully and thoughtfully read through the Psalms and read them slowly, read them meditatively, read them prayerfully. Take special note of verses that talk about the glory and the character of God. Ponder them, soak in them, let them sink into your heart. Memorize some of them. Meditate on them. Think through how your life is blessed and built up and stabilized by that truth. And then worship God, praise Him for it. It may take some time to feel this kind of satisfaction. You may need to drink and meditate and pray and worship and drink and meditate and pray and worship for a period of time. before you sense that satisfaction. Listen, some of us are so used to filling up on the fleeting pleasures of worldly junk food that we don't even really have an appetite for what's real and healthy and satisfying spiritual food. We have to retrain ourselves. Give time to this. Come to the fountain of living water. Start to drink deeply. And do it often. And in time, God will fill up that thirsty place in you and bless you. Because he is the only one big enough and majestic enough and glorious enough to quench your thirsty soul. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for revealing yourself to us in your word. Thank you for revealing yourself to us in history, through creation. Thank you for revealing yourself to us through Jesus, God the Son, that we might know the living God. Thank you, Lord, that by sending Jesus and allowing him to live here and live a perfect, sinless life, the life that we could never live, and for doing everything that was necessary to purchase our salvation, that we might know you. I pray, God, if anyone here does not know you in this way, I pray that you would soften their hearts, give them a heart of flesh, draw them, reveal yourself to them in this way. May they come to faith in you through Jesus. And Lord Jesus, I pray that as you convict us and give us recognition of our thirsty soul, would you draw us to the source of living waters? Come to me and drink, you said. May we never look toward things that don't satisfy But I pray, Lord Jesus, that we would grow in this discipline of giving our thoughts toward 
thoughts of the greatest thing that could ever occupy our thoughts. Satisfy us, Lord, in such ways. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.